This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Hi, welcome to another episode of Docera Digest. I'm really excited about this series that we're going to be putting together here on energy medicine. It's something that we had looked at doing later this fall, but we've been inundated with requests from patients and other people to kind of give us some more information, help you understand what this is. So the word uh, energy medicine is probably not something a lot of people are familiar with. Um, they're probably uh, familiar with other aspects of it or other types of energy medicine. They just didn't realize that it fell under that. So in this series here, we're going to be talking about a whole lot of different aspects here. So we're going to go over what energy is. Then we're going to go over the history of it, going back thousands of years to Ayurvedic medicine, uh, Chinese medicine, going through acupuncture and acupuncture, things like that. Um, going through and looking at a whole lot of other different aspects is even uh, coming up to homeopathy, chiropractic, uh, osteopathy, all these different things there that you're familiar with that you probably didn't realize fall under that umbrella of energy medicine. So a lot of people are skeptical of energy medicine because they don't quite understand it. And we're going to go over a little bit more about why the philosophies and some of the things with energy medicine don't quite align with the traditional uh, medical view and how they're still successful and, and where they're still being used around the world. We're also going to go back and talk about our senses and our intuition and how these frequencies that um, we intercept in our environment or in our body that allows us to understand something else is going on. There's a aspect of something that's interfering with our own frequency, our own music, our own symphony. Something's out of tune. And something's out of balance. And so we're going to look at how those things can help us figure out how to navigate our environment around us. We're going to go through and talk about different interventions uh, that we use in energy from lasers to Rife machines to all kinds of other things that we use energetically to shift and change the body and allow it to find a way to heal itself with its own wisdom. And then we're going to go back at the end of all that, and we're going to go into an episode. We're going to talk about how we utilize this in our clinic as the doctors there. So I am Dr. Kyson Frank. We have Dr. Luke Moore, Dr. Caleb Frank here, Dr. Ben Bowers, and Dr. Craig. We all work together at Docera Life Center, and we use a lot of these different aspects from all these different modalities and therapies and treatments to find success and help our patients find the most uh, balanced approach. Uh, with least the side effects, I, I hope that's what we're trying to do and get the best results we can. So we're always looking at getting bigger, better, faster, stronger, getting better results for people. And that's something we're constantly innovative and changing and trying to find new ways of helping people. So uh, one thing I want you to stand as we go through the series here, when we talk about energy medicine, I want you to think of this more as software 
uh, than hardware. So on your phone, you can pick up your phone, you can toggle your volume up and down by pushing buttons, you can hit the power button, shut it off. But you can still do the same thing by touching the screen, which is an energetic input into the phone, which can do all these same things. So when we're talking about energy here, we're really talking more about software versus a hardware, like a chemical reaction to the body that can still stimulate a change in the body to produce healing. So these are a lot of things I want you to think about, all the different things that we have. Again, with phones, each phone is a frequency, so you can reach out to anybody in the world if you have the right frequency. Same thing, I can go through and I can have an intervention in the body if I have the right frequency to stimulate that response. And so I'm really excited because this is going to be a big series here. Um, all of you guys who have questions about this, I hopefully we can answer most of these questions here and we'll go in depth in all of this here. So today, kicking it off is Dr. Caleb Frank and I'll let him take over from here. All right. So what I'm going to talk about is the physics of energy. So I'm going to kind of go through a little quick crash course on what energy is from a physics aspect. So the word energy can be used in many different ways to reference different things. <clears throat> and I'm just kind of curious for you that are watching and listening, what comes to mind when you hear the word energy? Do you think of energy as when you're not tired? when you have energy to actually get up and do stuff? Do you think of energy as coffee or even energy drinks? Do you think of it as electricity? Do you think of it as the battery charge on your phone, whether it has enough energy to make it through a phone call or on your laptop if you're trying to get through a project? So what is energy? Now, the word energy actually comes from the Greek root word of energia, which means activity or operation or power of action. So the simplest definition of energy, which is what's used in physics today, is energy is the ability to do work. <clears throat> Quite simple as that. Now, there are many different forms of energy. There's a couple different types of energy. And again, we're going to go through that fairly quickly here. So <clears throat> some of the forms of energy, some of the most common ones anyways, we have mechanical energy. So this is the type of energy that's built up in a mechanical system, often using tension from compressed springs or stretched rubber bands. Good example of this is if you wind up a music box, you're creating or generating that energy, mechanical energy in there by compressing the spring. And then <clears throat> as it works through that mechanical process, it uses up that energy until it doesn't have it anymore and then it stops playing, right? Chemical energy is gonna be energy that's stored in the bonds of atoms and molecules. We see this a lot in batteries, in chemicals like uh, petroleum or natural gas. Uh, nuclear energy, this is the energy stored in the nucleus of an atom that holds the nucleus together. So an atom, the nucleus is formed from neutrons and protons, and then there's electrons floating around the nucleus. So when we get into things like um, <clears throat> nuclear fission and some of these other things where we're trying to actually split or you know disrupt that nucleus, we're trying to pull energy from the bonds that are connecting that together. There's gravitational energy, which we experience every day, just walking around, trying to jump around. And, you know, we're always connected to the earth because of gravity. And if you look at the solar system, the, everything revolves around the sun or the how the um, earth, the moon revolves around the earth. You know, all this is because of gravitational energies, <clears throat> thermal or heat energy. So anytime we have fire or microwave, you know, that's cooking your food you know there's all sorts of heat energy that can be used from that 
We also see light and photonic energy every day. This is invisible light, infrared light, and ultraviolet light. <clears throat> There's motion energy, which when we're moving, we have momentum or inertia. Sound energy, energy at different levels can allow us to hear sounds, hear sounds at different pitches. That's how we make music. We have all these instruments that can um, create or generate sound energy at different levels. And we're able to create either music or noise, depending on how you look at it, <clears throat> from those aspects. Electrical energy, this is probably one of the more common ones we think of. All the energy flowing through the power lines along the street, all the electrical uh, cords in your house. So <clears throat> this is electrical energy, which is from the flow of electrons. Again, going back to the um, atomic level, where we have all the electrons floating around the atom the nucleus of the atom. So there's the flow of that going through that creates electrical energy. And one of the most common ones <clears throat> is probably one we actually think about the least is uh, radiant or electromagnetic energy. So this is what is used in radio in Wi-Fi, microwaves, x-rays, and so much more. So as we continue our discussions on energy medicine, the again, this is going to be one of the main forms that we're referring to, how the body radiates energy and how we can interact with that. <clears throat> so those are some of the forms of energy. Now, energy can actually be converted between different forms. A good example of this is a car engine. So if you look at a car engine, we have gasoline, which is chemical energy that's converted to thermal energy, which creates pressure on the pistons, which generates mechanical engine energy, and eventually turns the tires to create motion energy. So we can see how energy is converted through all these different processes. Now within that, there are actually two main classifications or types of energy. <clears throat> so one is potential energy and the other is kinetic energy. So potential energy is what we call, typically referred to as stored energy or possible energy. So for example, if I take this pen and I hold it up over the table, gravity is able to exert a force on that or exert energy on that. But right now my hand is keeping it from falling. So this has potential energy or possible energy. If I let go of the pin, then it becomes kinetic where it's actually moving and falling towards the table. If I hold it up over the carpet, it's gonna have even more energy because it's gonna have a greater range or greater height for gravity to work on it. <clears throat> Now, we could even get into some philosophical discussions because, uh, you know, I always grew up as a person or when I was younger, I was always told I was a man with great potential and I always took that as a great compliment. But later on in life, as I learned more about physics and what, the, what uh, potential energy and kinetic energy, the difference between them, I was like, you know what? That's actually not a great compliment. It means I'm not doing anything with my life. <clears throat> so just a little philosophical side note with that. But anyways, potential energy is possible energy, energy that could be there, such as with the gasoline, chemical energy, it's possible that it's there, but until something actually converts that into a more active form of energy, then it's really kind of useless in a way. So kinetic energy is gonna be active and that's where we get most of our actual influence or force or use of energy through that. Now, all energy, no matter what its form or type, operates on waves or frequencies. You're going to hear us use that word a lot, frequencies. So a frequency is basically just a wave pattern that is specific to that energy and can 
it can change depending on the levels of it or like with the sound, you know, different. If it's vibrating faster, vibrating slower, that can change the volume or the pitch up or down. And it can make all these different uh, changes to that. <clears throat> now, different energy waves can actually interact. And that's going to be a big part of what we're talking about as we continue to go through this. And that's the uh, term of resonance. So anytime we have identical waves that overlap or connect to each other, they're going to interact and create an increase in output. A good example of this, again, using sound waves, is if you point a microphone at a speaker, what likely happens? You're going to get a big squawk, right? Because all those sound waves are identical and they keep overlapping over and over and over and over, building an increase in output. <clears throat> now, if we do the exact opposite, if we take... Um, the opposite waves or even waves that are in the same frequency but that are out of phase enough that they are interacting at opposite points, they can actually cancel each other out. So another term for resonance is actually constructive interference and another term for cancellation is destructive interference. So it can either build something or it can destroy something. So as we continue to go through and talk about all this uh, energy medicine and how it came about, how it works in the body, how we use it to help people, think about it this way. Energy exists everywhere from the atomic level to the cosmic level and in many different forms. And energy can affect you positively or negatively, depending on how we interact with it. <clears throat> now, the good thing is energy has to follow by certain rules and laws. And the better we understand these, the better we can make sure we're using energy for good work instead of bad work. But I'll let Dr. Craig go into that in more detail. Thanks, Dr. Caleb. Well, like you said, I get to talk about the laws of energy, which is interesting because there's really a couple of laws of energy. They're kind of a subset of four laws of what's called thermodynamics, which gets into heat and movement. Um, really, to me, these laws are the way we can expect energy to behave or function. So most people have probably heard the first law of thermodynamics, which is the conservation of energy. It, it states that in a closed system, energy is neither created nor destroyed, which is kind of interesting in conjunction with what you just talked about, about constructive energy and destructive energy. Is it truly destroyed or just transformed? And so another way to look at this, too, is the total energy of the universe remains constant. So here's my first thought when it comes to these laws. We are making assumptions based upon observations because nobody has been to every part of the universe that can says there's no, no change in this. This is what we've observed, so this is what we apply to a universal perspective. So as he talked about, I think we're going to hit this from both a physical, physiologic, and philosophical perspective. It's kind of interesting to talk about these things. And scientific, too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so as was said, too, in this conservation of energy, energy is only transformed from one form to another. What's another interesting concept in this is anything that's gained, there's a loss somewhere else. There's always a transference of this energy from one form to another. So that leads into the second law, which is the law of entropy, which basically states for a spontaneous process, the entropy of the universe increases. Well, what does that mean? So entropy is basically a loss of the ability to do work. As he was talking about potential and kinetic energy, entropy is the loss of that ability to do work. So, and, and what's interesting is the natural direction is from order to disorder, from work to lack of work, 
which if you think about it, it, it doesn't take any work to be lazy. It doesn't take any effort. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's kind of the second law. What's interesting, there was a third law that developed that says a perfect crystal at zero, degree kel zero degrees Kelvin or no movement at all has zero entropy or zero loss. What's interesting is once these were kind of developed, then a few others were developed, which actually leads – the fourth one is actually what's called the zeroth law, which is the law of thermal equilibrium, which means if you and I are in equilibrium – and you and Keisner are equilibrium, then Keisner and I are equilibrium, which kind of makes sense. One plus one equals one, plus one equals one. So it's, it's kind of interesting. But what it also states is that energy flows from hot to cold. It's the same concept of building on entropy as it goes from, always goes from higher energy to lower energy. Well, heat is a form of energy. Exactly, exactly. And then there's what's called the fourth law, which states that the dissipative component of evolution is in the direction of steepest entropy ascent. Yeah. Wow. Now, please, you, please all, you all know what that means, right? I mean, it's yeah. – and, and here's please what's really it. funny is – Tell <laughs> us more. What's <laughs> funny is I looked up what's the simplified version. That's the simplified version of the fourth <laughs> law of thermodynamics. I'm going, okay. So here's kind of what I, I read that made a lot of sense. If you have two hills and one steep and one semi-steep and you put a rock at the top or a ball at the top, which one is most likely to go down? It's going to go down the steepest hill because that carries the most energy. The other thing that said with this is it's impossible to achieve the absolute zero temperature through any process that involves only a finite exchange of heat, which basically says you can't really get to zero entropy. Entropy can't be stopped, at least in our physical domain, in our energetic domain. Except a diamond does it. Okay. Is it stay at zero? That's not at zero degrees Kelvin, though. That's true. Okay. So That's now, the, yeah, like this kind of leads into the fifth point, which I'm kind of glad you said this. There's actually a fifth law of thermodynamics, which is a central component of Thomas uh, Kuhn's philosophy of measurement in what he calls the fifth law of thermodynamics. This law states that there will always be discrepancies between experimental results and scientists' prior expectations. There are always exceptions. Glass is another one that's a, a, an, expect, or a, um, an exception to the rule. So again, we have these laws that are observations that don't exactly fit 100% of the time. So especially when, if we, start to get into bioenergetic energy and spiritual energy. Where does that fit? Do they obey these laws? Or the higher laws. Exactly. Exactly. So what does this all mean in for us? So I'm going to actually just take those the first two, and we're going to put this in biological terms, and, and Dr. Lou's going to take this a little bit more in depth, but I'm going to put it simply this way. In the first law, all biological or organisms require energy to survive. So it doesn't just come naturally. We have to have some transformation for us to be able to have energy that works. So the, the example that in this article that I read is it uses the example of photosynthesis. And it said in photosynthesis, the energy is supplied by the sun. The plant doesn't just magically have energy. It requires something else to be transformed within itself which kind of leads into the second law, which I thought was interesting. So you guys have all heard of Schrodinger's cat thing, right? Schrodinger said, life is a struggle against entropy. 
And if you think about it, that's really what aging is, is just entropy. We lose the ability to do work. So, and he said, in biological systems or processes, the transfer of energy is never 100%. The plant doesn't absorb 100% of the light. And so part of those photon rays actually get into the environment, which creates entropy. And over time, that becomes more and more disorder. So it's just kind of interesting. One of the things that as we get into the next section, I'm going to talk about how some of the energy medicine processes or concepts that I talk about actually apply these laws. Because really what it this talks about is there's always a seeking of balance within the universe. If we have a high, there's a low. If we have a hot, there's a cold. And they're always seeking that equilibrium place or that place of balance, which kind of gets into the waves that you talk about too, is there's a high point and a low point. They balance each other out. Because otherwise, what do we have? We have flatline, which is death. So, Entropy. Yeah. It's the word of the day. <laughs> but don't forget the fourth law because that's the one that's most simplified. <laughs> so with that in mind, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Luke and he's going to talk about how that plays out in our biology. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Craig. You're welcome. So <laughs> so I got um, biochemistry here. So um, really following nicely from Dr. Caleb to Dr. Craig. Um, and as Dr. Caleb said, energy is defined as the ability to do work. We know what it's like to feel energized and we can t take on the world when we're energized and get it done. We also know what it feels like on the opposite of that when we don't have the energy and we just don't feel like doing anything at all. Well, we're going to take a quick look at what is energy in humans from a biochemical aspect and what our body's fuel source is and how do we get it or how do we make it? So. Right off the bat, the body's main chemical source of energy, and this is about as technical as I'm gonna get on you, is adenosine triphosphate or ATP. Uh, think of ATP as a form of currency that our body uses for all energy transfer in the body. In other words, no ATP, no life. Uh, ATP ultimately comes, you know, kind of piggybacking off Dr. Craig here, um, ATP ultimately comes from the breakdown of foods we eat or the transfer of energy from the foods that we eat, specifically the breakdown of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Uh, the primary way from a dietary standpoint is that ATP is produced from the breakdown of glucose, which is sugar, um, which of course comes from carbohydrates. The body can also produce glucose other ways within the body, but I wanna dive into all that biochemistry right now or get into the keto debate or all that. But <laughs> oh, let's do, let's do. <laughs> but yes, ATP is ultimately produced from the breakdown of glucose through uh, pathways called glycolysis, the citric acid cycle, and the electron transport chain. Uh, ATP is made within the mitochondria of our cells, and in every cell in the body are an estimated 1,000 to 2,500 mitochondria. And in other words, that's about 20 to 25 percent of the total volume of a cell. And by the way, there are an estimated 35 to 40 trillion cells in the body. So yes, that's a lot of ATP being made. And you can begin to understand how vital this molecule is to sustaining life. So what are some of the major functions of ATP? You know, granted it's in every biochemical reaction in the body, but what are some of the take homes or, or practical understandings of this? Um, well, first of all, the thing that ATP helps with is DNA and RNA synthesis. In other words, what makes you, you? and how you function. And directly from that is proteins and amino acids being made, uh, how cells talk to one another, how cells communicate and give orders within itself to get stuff done, which I wanna to touch briefly on here for just a moment. 
is that if you look up how cells communicate, if you get bored at night and you can't fall asleep, <laughs> you know, look up just animations on cell to cell communication or what's called signal transduction. And I think it's just fascinating to look at what has to happen just for a cell to be able to bring something in or let it go out of it is it's basically like a relay of, well, this step has to happen and then this step has to happen. And there's, you know, several different steps. And to think how quickly that's going on in real time is pretty mind blowing. So um, other things that ATP does help with is how nerves communicate with one another. Um, and then more importantly, um, how skeletal muscle contraction happens, which is a big one for the purposes of our discussions here, because this has to do with how we move through time and space. So taking this another layer deeper, say you want to move your right arm and just like you're waving high, uh, you need ATP for the cell to cell communication to make that happen, for the nerves to talk to one another. And then even deeper than that, you need ATP to think about moving your right arm. So ATP to actually make that thought happen, to send that signal from your brain to your spinal cord, to the nerves of your arm, and then actually to make, again, the muscles contract to where you're able to make that movement. So ATP is literally involved in every step of the way, uh, how we move about through time and space. So I know this is a fairly basic example, but I didn't want to go too deep. I just wanted to give you enough to be able to understand. So the take home for this is no ATP, no life. So with that, Dr. Ben's going to close this out with a very light uh, hearted subject of quantum physics. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Lou. Thanks. <laughs> wow. Okay. Two things can be said right now. Half of you can go to sleep, the other half can wake up. Because <laughs> we're going to dive into some stuff, but I'm going to keep it really simple. I'm going to do a little different take on quantum physics as I kind of go through it. But I want to touch on a couple of unique factors on some of the topics the doctors have already talked about. And when I look at what Dr. Caleb talks about, what energy is work, and we're going to be talking about energy medicine, does medicine work? Oh, that's a different story, sorry. Uh, yes, it does. All right, But at some point, we have to look at this and go, what is the significance of that? And I want to touch on something Dr. Luke talked about. And when we talk about energy and energy production through ATP, I always talk to all my clients, we talk to our patients about, well, what kind of energy do we have? You know, and I've always expressed it since I'm the older guy. And I remember back before we had electron microscopes and we thought every cell had one mitochondria, not up to, you know, thousand, two thousand, whatever. Anyway, that was an interesting concept before you guys time but anyway so when i think about energy not i think all of us not all of us yeah oh, that's right dr frank i'm sorry so when i think about the concept of energy we have now energy which is what we use when we're you know awake and, and active and that's one of the biggest complaints that most doctors will face with is people just say i don't have enough energy i'm running out of energy and that's an aging concept too the other aspect of that is we have to have energy for when we sleep, when we repair. And so you referenced, Dr. Luke, the what I will call the atomic or the automatic aspect of energy going in and out of cells and chemistry that helps that do all that. And they always talk about uh, what I refer to as supply energy. We have to supply all those things. We have to supply the firemen to put out our fires. We have to supply the armies to fire the battles. And then we have to supply the constructor, the construction uh, people to rebuild our systems, right? So... That kind of leads us into the last thing I want to talk about with Dr. Farney. And, you know, what's interesting when I hear all these different laws of the aspect of, of energy and what it is, one thing that has always intrigued me as being a scuba diver and having dived down to about 120 feet, where there's the absence of sun, the absence of light, 
Why is there so brilliant colors and vibrant colors, even to a thousand feet below the you know their surface or the sea surface, where there is no energy from the sun? What is it that color does to us, and why do animals in the deep have to have a color? Because color vibrates. It has a frequency, and it has a communication. It has a warning. It has a fight mechanism. So I think all those are interesting as we dive into quantum physics. So take a nap for those who are not interested. No, this is going to be really interesting. You really want to understand some of these things. Without getting too deep into it, I want to state that quantum physics is the essential to understand the whole aspect of everything in our world and our life that we operate within. Many people have heard of different types of energy medicine or healing uh, properties. Various schools of energy medicine or healing include things that are biofield energy healing, life force healing, light therapy, laser treatment, spinal, excuse me, spiritual healing, spinal healing, that counts too, doesn't it? Spiritual, chiropractor comes out. The distance or distracted healing, the pranic or prana healing, therapeutic touch or contact healing, a magnetic therapy, infrared therapy, sauna therapy, intentional power healing, Reiki, Qi, Qigong, as well as many, many other types that are out there. So some of the basic principles of quantum physics can be referred to as what is called non-locality, discontinuity, or entanglement. Can we put those in some laws and figure out the, those Especially aspects? Especially the fourth of, one. Especially <laughs> the fourth, which is so clear, right? <laughs> but we're not going to talk about all that today because everybody will go to sleep on that. What I want to focus on is what we think about the different principles through quantum physics that we can explain. And we're going to go into details in that in this series, such as, as Dr. Kaiser brought up, oriental medicine, acupuncture, Ayurvedic medicine, homeopathy, naturopathy, and the things that work simply with the body's subtle energy systems. Right. So when I think about these aspects of it and I look at quantum physics, I want to find how quantum physics actually has a dynamic effect on our body, our energy, what we're producing. It allows us to look at the inclusion of time-tested, proven results of many ancient and modern therapies relating to subtle energies, of which the world of medicine is generally only <laughs> looking at pharmaceuticals or surgery and physical medicine, and that's really all they accept. They don't understand these certain components of energy, at least at their foundation. Since energy medicine is generally based upon a non-pharmaceutical premise, most of energy-based approaches have been disqualified by conventional medicine because they are considered to be non-scientific and therefore they are not taught in medical universities. Now, what I find interesting is the laws that we've talked about here and all these different aspects of that, pow, 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 the, the laws that we've talked about, how the laws change over time. As you've talked about is when we start realizing that these are observations at set moments in time and at different times, there's different observations, right? So therefore, the laws are always constantly changing until we finally evolve to some universal aspect that we believe to be uh, true because we've disproved everything else. So the main point here today is that we know that the medical education system is based on an outdated, linear, and deterministic model of science to assess energy-based medicine or therapies. How about that for quantum physics? Yeah, <laughs> all right. So this is like trying to understand a multi-layered dimensionality from a two-dimensional perspective. Or as the old saying goes, what people are not up on, they're down on. So meaning because they do not understand it, they cannot explain it, and therefore it doesn't exist or it doesn't matter. And I think that's really what we look at in energy medicine. Yet medicine itself does recognize certain aspects of its existence, even through as, though it discredits it. Think about the concepts of the placebo effect. You want quantum physics? Here we go, right? It's power to manifest a different you based upon uh, something that's been unexplained, right? And when we look at that, we understand that 
it's changed something within either our belief system, our intentionality system, or some internal cellular communication system that we took what we perceived to be a false statement and accepted as truth, and therefore it changed our nature within us. But was it ever false to begin with, right? Where was the real power in that statement, right? Um, so when we look at the aspect, what we believe to be true, we believe it to be a reaction from a based on our acceptance into our body of our world. Now, we've talked in times past about environmental things. We've talked about air and water. We'll, we'll kind of reference those again. But when we look at the environment and its energy on us, doesn't that have a dynamic effect on us as well? For years, medicine has told us certain things that have been proved to be true once we truly understand all the parameters of the body engaged in and with the universe, which is our environment. For example, generally speaking, we know that some people react to some medicines or therapies and others don't. And we ask why. And in scientific literature, it's like, well, if you have this symptom, you take this pill or this medicine or this drug, this will be your reaction. And yet we have what's called the LD50 concept, which means, but yet it killed 50 people. And yet we find a certain level of acceptance because of that energy. So once we learn that it's the frequency modifications of the environment that has more of a dynamic effect upon our bodies than anything else, we begin to understand that certain components of the environment affects our emotions. We begin to realize that it is all energy that has an equal effect on our health and our ability to adapt to it, which is what makes the, the, the dynamic effect or change in our lives in the first place. And we've, a lot of us have talked a lot about this on these different aspects. So our tip here is to understand that at the Sarah Life Center, we utilize energy medicine as both a tool to assess the health of a person, as well as use it to change or adapt a person so that they become a greater receptor of the health instead of the disease, right? Therefore, we choose to look at it and treat the whole body, not just the diseased parts. And since it's mainly certain aspects of the environment that can do both, cause both health and disease, we want to focus on the good parts to regain the best health possible. So I believe it's a very important piece of the puzzle of quantum physics and energy medicine to look at complementary and alternative medicines in the current healthcare system and to shift from a model of medicine based uh, primarily on disease and symptoms and then shift to an, a, a model of environmental energy or environmental energy medicine that tries to identify and address the root cause of the problems and redirect our body's potential energy. Remember that one? Yeah, mm -hmm. our potential energy towards repair, prevention, and ultimately even better health. So we hope that you found today's topic pretty interesting. Hopefully we didn't keep it too dry or too boring. But in our next episode, we're going to discuss the history of medicine. And for you history buffs, this is going to be exciting. For those of you who don't care, you need to watch or listen to it because it's prevalent to your life to this day and time. So stay tuned and we'll talk to you in the next series. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.